Follow the Relationship Podcast. The podcast about leadership, potential, and getting out of your own way. I'm Mike Goffney, and thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Follow the Relationship Podcast. It means so much to have me here. I know it's a kind of a broken record. I say it every week, but I really do. I really do mean it. It's it's meaningful to hear from people that said, hey, this has inspired me, this encouraged me, or just thanking me for putting it out. Um, as you sit in a dark room and record podcasts, you always hope it's helping somebody. And that's the thing. I want these to be useful to you in a way that is actually, you don't feel like anybody's trying to get anything from you. There's no big ask as much as a free resource because we're all in this together. And I, I remember in the early days when I start, first started coaching and not having anybody that could that could really give me the perspective I needed. And so I kind of want to be a voice for those of you who are taking risks in your own life, trying to figure out your why behind what you're doing and trying to craft new visions for your life. So like the like the bumper says, this is about potential, you know, leadership and getting out of our own way. A lot of times I feel like I'm the one getting in my own way, right? We all know that self-sabotage is pretty is is a real thing for us. And I know that for me, like I love and hate my talents. I don't know about you, but oh my Clifton Strengths themes, as you've heard me talk about my journey a little bit, my Clifton Strengths themes end up being it was always a love-hate relationship in the early years because I spent so much time trying to scoop out parts of myself that I thought were broken, ignoring the fact that they were valuable. And and, and you know, whether it's nature versus nurture, this is the big question, right? What's interesting is in Gallup's book, Strengths Finder 2.0, they reference a study, I believe, done by the University of Kansas in New Zealand where researchers had, researchers went and assessed a thousand three-year-olds for personality and they sealed the results. 23 years later, they hunted up all 1,026-year-olds and assessed them for personality again, and then popped the results on the three-year-old results. It was one of the largest studies of its kind, and they discovered that they had identified patterns of personality and talent in three-year-olds that were then dominant at age 26. So there's definitely something that is genetic, right? There's something that's in that makeup. It's also in that setting. And so I kind of believe in a, in a, a nurture through nature piece of our lives. And activator is one of those themes that for me, my activator command is like a favorite part, but also like a part of me that doesn't always seem to land well. Like it's the part of me that that gives me a bias towards action and makes me feel like I need to keep moving. It's also the part of me that pulls too quickly on a lid of a thing and spills all over myself. The activator, we do and then do cleanup. It's kind of one of those things because we naturally know how to create motion. And I, I, I kind of hate it sometimes. And I'm like, man, why do I have this? Why do I have this? And I started thinking about it this past week. Well, how did I get here and, and how do I use these talents well? And my grandfather, my Sicilian grandfather, um, Eugene Curto, in Italy they would have said Eugenio, but um, here in the States, Eugene Curto, he was from Sicily. He lived, um, after his family moved from New York to Detroit as a young man, he lived um, in Dearborn, Michigan. Dearborn, Michigan was the Italian Sicilian enclave of Detroit at the time in the late 1930s, early 1940s, because the Prince Spaghetti Factory would usually only hire Italian women. So word got out to New York that the Prince Spaghetti Factory was hiring, and so Italians moved from New York to Detroit. And I think Dearborn now is, has a large Persian population, but you know, like most neighborhoods, they transition to different ethnicities over time and different families move in. And it's just, it's been fun um, when I go back to visit Dearborn and, and see some of the great restaurants that are there. And just remember that's where my family came from. But my grandfather, he was there and he 
like every good <laughs> 18, 19 year old, I mean, like 19, 20 um, year old man at the time was a man about town. He was dating quite a bit. And he found a girl named Teresa, Teresa Lala, that he wanted to ask out. And so he went and met her and took her out to dinner one night. But while he was waiting for Teresa, who I now understand was perpetually late for things, um, he met Teresa's older sister, Rose. The date with Teresa did not go well. They they were not a good fit for personality. But Grandpa Jean was really impressed with Rose, the older sister, and so promptly went back two days later and asked Rose if he could take her out. And she agreed. They went out on a date, um, despite the fact that, quite honestly, she was kind of dating somebody else at the time. But he played very well. The whole, I'm heading off to war card. See, World War II had just started. And he had been drafted into the Army and was going to be headed to the South Pacific in a really short time. And so that's what you did. You know, there's famous stories of, of guys and girls meeting, dating once or twice and getting married before they shipped off. And, you know, he, but uncle grandpa Gene basically was able to pull off this, you know, Hey Rose, can we go out? And so he convinced this girl Rose to go out on a date and he fell madly in love. He really did. He fell madly in love so much that when he came time to say goodbye and he was shipping out, he, he asked Rose, can I, can I write to you? And she's like, well, I guess. Why? But he's like, well, because I think I'm in love with you. And she's like, you hardly know me. She was very practical and he was very passionate. And she's like, I can't stop you, I suppose, if you want. And he began to write her and he wrote her consistently week after week after week as he's on a ship heading to Hawaii you know which will be his first stop on his way to the South Pacific from there he's gonna be stationed in Hawaii before they move on into Japan and those other areas in the islands in the Pacific Rim and he's falling madly in love with every letter (laughs) over and over again and finally he's like don't you love me don't you love me and she wrote back to him and she's like look I hardly I really don't know you and besides Besides, like, I'm practically engaged. She was dating another guy um, named Charlie, I think his name was. And he was like, she's like, why are you still writing to me constantly? She's like, I'm I'm dating this guy. And and she said to him, I am practically engaged. And Grandpa Gene wrote back and said, Rose, don't say that. You're not engaged yet. Don't say that. Rose, don't do anything until you hear from me again. And next thing you know, two or three weeks later, in the mail... In an envelope with a note in it, she received an engagement ring. My grandfather had gone out in Hawaii, bought an engagement ring, put it in an envelope with a note, and mailed it, U.S. mail, from Hawaii to Detroit with a note that said, Will you marry me? My grandmother Rose said yes. She accepted this marriage proposal from the guy she'd gone on one date with that she basically wouldn't see again for almost two years. And in fact, the story actually gets kind of crazy because as a young woman, she and um, a couple of her girlfriends got jobs in the war department in Detroit, and they were typists. They were teletypists. Their job was to translate code into notes for generals and such that were that were taking information, making plans. And she actually worked in troop movements. 
And so they had figured out what platoon. My grandfather was an army corpsman, so he was the medic in the field um, during the Pacific Rim, running around taking care of soldiers. So she knew which unit he was with. And she told me that she and her girlfriends would search the papers every day, the, the information to see where they could go. And that's how she tracked him, actually, during the war. And then when the war was winding down and the War Department closed, my grandmother, my grandma Rose, as we called her, um, went on to work in the old Hudson Packer plant, which was an automotive plant that became an airplane factory. And she worked there. And then one night, she said, after him being gone for two plus years, she had a phone call in the middle of the night from a man who said, Rose, Rose, it's me, Gene. And she said she was so drowsy. She answered, Gene who? And much to my grandfather's shock, he was like, how many genes do you know? And she, she came to and realized that it was him. He was in New York. The Navy had brought people back and just dropped him off. And he said, I'm on a train and I'll be there in the morning. They spent a couple months getting to know each other again and then got married. And were passionately in love for the rest of their lives. Um, when he passed away, she could never sleep in the bed again. She she recently passed at 94. He died quite young, um, early, like 59, 60. And she lived to be 94. So she lived a long time after him. And to the end, when I would talk to her, she would describe her beloved hubby. She would call him her hubby. Um, he was a risk taker. I mean, went after what he wanted. I, I, and it wasn't just there. He came back. It's funny. Our whole lives, we thought that he was like a barber because when he came back, he opened Gene's Barbershop on El Cajon Boulevard in San Diego at 48th. But we thought, I thought, well, maybe he was a barber. He never really told us until years later we found his military paperwork that he was a corpsman, that he was in the field doing medical work in what must have been just horrific conditions. He came back and started a business. He was a risk taker. He was a risk taker so much that he actually loved to gamble. He would, he'd love to go to Tijuana to the races and he would gamble on those races. And it was kind of his thing. He loved taking a risk. He loved taking a chance. He loved the rush of trying to see if it could make a difference. If he could like win big and it really, you know, and it really, it really gave him a feeling of excitement. So much so until one day when he was down there with my uncle in tow at the races in Tijuana that he um, he found himself holding he and Grandma Rose's rent in his hand. And he got ready to gamble the rent money and suddenly was just overcome with fear. What was he doing? He in that moment said he realized he had a problem. And he decided he needed to stop. He, he could see himself almost destroying his life. And he quit gambling that day and was like, there must be a way to help people who have this problem, who are, who are almost addicted to gambling. And, he's like, and he'd heard of a thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, and people were trying to do the same thing for Gamblers Anonymous, but the only meetings weren't anywhere near, but there wasn't any meetings. There weren't meetings at that time. People weren't, meet, people weren't meeting. I remember hearing stories of him starting to hold Gamblers Anonymous meetings in San Diego, and he would hear from people in Vegas. Vegas is five hours away, by, or, or more back then, driving. Would want to hold Gamblers Anonymous meetings, but nobody would know how. And he would drive up to Vegas to hold Gamblers Anonymous meetings for guys in Vegas. In San Diego, 
he basically founded the Gamblers Anonymous family of networks in San Diego. For many, many times, my grandmother would tell stories of week after week where he would pay the rent on the room in this little abandoned, dirty, dusty room in downtown San Diego. It was his contribution. He would go constantly and he would hold meetings by himself he and my uncle joe his son his little kid he would take his little boy and the two of them would have their gamblers anonymous meetings keeping the rooms open for somebody who might need those rooms when i when he passed away when i was about five years old we flew back to san diego for his funeral and i remember going with my grandmother to this dark room one night that i didn't really understand where a bunch of guys sat in a room and they were there to present a plaque to my grandmother they put on the wall in honor of my grandfather who had kept those rooms open for at that point what would have been 30 plus years see my grandfather had a passion for risk he had a passion for taking chances for trying things he, my mother tells a story of they would, <laughs> they'd be on road trips to go look at the mountains or something, and one of the kids would need to go to the bathroom, but instead of pulling over, he'd be like, well, he'd pull over in front of a house and say, well, go knock on that door and tell him you need to use the bathroom, and he would just send them in. That's what he would do. He just believed in trying, and if you look at his story, the same thing that led him to love gambling, to love the sense of risk was also the same thing that led him to cre help create Gamblers Anonymous in San Diego, that helped him engage people. See, it's that whole element of that part of him that, that was so powerful that at the end of the day, there was two things. It could sometimes cause him to serve himself and sometimes cause him to serve something greater than himself. When we, serve, when we use our talents, when we use our strengths to serve ourselves, it's usually to medicate, to make some pain go away, to feel better, to juice ourselves. They're called strengths for a reason. When you use your talents, they become strengths. You feel strong. And so when you're feeling weak and you're focused in on your own weakness and pain and you're focused in on your own suffering, you often turn naturally occurring things to serve yourself. If you're responsibility, you start trying to control what is yours and not. If you're disciplined, you, you get hyper-focused on, on things that are orderly. If you're strategic, you start hunting for, for new choices to make and new decisions. If you're an achiever, you're convinced that you're just not working hard enough. And so if you work harder, you feel strong and then you'll feel at peace. There's a whole element of our talents are life-giving when we, they're, they are actually not life-giving, but they're more like a, a medication when we focus them in. When we focus them on serving something other than ourselves, when we focus them on a problem on the world around us, they are also life-giving, but, but even more so, because it's multiplying. When you focus it on the inside, it only works as long as you're pumping it in. When you focus it on the outside and you're giving to something bigger, it has an inertia to it. It outlasts you. It keeps going. An object, laws of physics, right? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. This is how it is with your strengths externally. 
See, you can blast yourselves off by by yourself because with all your own combustion of going, okay, focus on me and what do I need and what do I want? Especially in the name of self-care. We love the word self-care, which at times, if we aren't careful, turns into self-focus. When we focus on using our gifts for something greater than ourselves and focus them out, our talents out, they will produce the same amount of strength, but they also produce residual strength, strength that echoes back, lifted that occurs that has nothing to do with your momentum. It's about the fact that you put yourself out there and now you've caught the wind of other things. I love the fact that I am pretty sure that my willingness to quit my job at Hewlett Packard when I was 30 and the craziness of spending 15 years of my life trying to do coaching and consulting and help companies and help individuals and students and businesses around the world and in fragile environments and try to bring justice and peace and governance to fragile places like Somalia and Afghanistan and Honduras and those things were inherited from my grandfather. And like him, there's times I use it well and times I don't use it well. When you think about the parts of your life and you think you're doing things wrong and you think it's not working and you're maybe depressed and struggling, maybe it's not something you need to get rid of. Maybe it's something you need to refocus. Maybe you need to take a chance on finding out what kind of lift you could get if you point those talents and strengths out. Is there someone who needs to be loved by you? Is there a problem that needs to be changed? Is there a risk that you need to take? Because, yeah, you might be there for one reason. You might be there to date Aunt, what I, who I will now call Aunt Teresa, <laughs> and instead suddenly discover you're actually there and you're meant to meet Grandma Rose. If you make the right choice, you take a chance and you ask for what you want and you ask for what you need and you think to the, and you look outside the world that you'd dreamed of that's all about yourself and you look at others, you might start something that changes the world that'll be your legacy. You might find way more joy than you ever possibly imagined. If you hold loosely your assumptions and expectations and look to a world much bigger than just looking at yourself, I think you're going to discover more than you dreamed of and more than you'd hoped for. But are you willing to take a risk to use your strengths differently? You can serve yourself or you can serve someone else. Ask yourself, is there something greater than myself that is calling me to take a risk on it today? Love to hear about risks you're taking. Please, you want if you want to support me in this podcast and this work, take a risk by sharing this with a friend, reposting it, sharing with a comment. You know, the it doesn't cost you a penny to like and share, but you might impact somebody else's life by passing the word along. Love you guys. It's been 10 episodes of this podcast season. Thank you so much for joining me. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot me a message at Michael, Doff, Michael at michaeldoffney.com or anything on social media. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Remember, follow the relationship. You've been listening to the Follow the Relationship Podcast. For more resources and information, please check out my website at www.michaeldoffney.com. For free resources, you can check out my blog as well as my YouTube page and reach me through any social media channel, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter.